The case for open source in all of the things researchers have found the code in Volkswagens that was used to cheat emissions tests. And it's pretty sophisticated stuff. They would monitor all kinds of conditions like the position of the tire, how how fast the engine was having, how hard the engine was having to work to move the tires, how fast they would spin. And it was all tucked away under something very innocuous, just something really simple called acoustic condition. <laughs> Yeah, a little specific piece of code that was just labeled acoustic condition, uh, which was a way to con- originally started as just a way to control the sounds that the engine makes, but it later became a euphemism for conditions occurring during the emissions test. And the code allowed for as many 10 different profiles, as many as 10 different profiles for different potential tests. When the computer would determine the car was undergoing a test, it activated the emissions curbing system, which reduced the amount of no- nitrogen oxide that was emitted. I found that kind of interesting uh, because there was a le- there was there was um, it turns out also a less sophisticated version that Fiat was implementing, oh. and this one didn't have to worry about like the position of the tire or how hard it was to spin the wheel. The car's onboard computer just simply turned on emission curbing software for the first twenty six minutes and forty seconds of the engine start. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So every time you started your engine, it just ran a little worse. For the first twenty six minutes and forty seconds, far, then you know, yeah, you didn't, yeah, and then that by would cover most emissions tests by that point. Most of them don't run longer than that, and so you're out. Uh, researchers noted that uh, for both uh, Volkswagen and for Fiat, the vehicle's engine control unit is manufactured by an automotive component giant, uh, Robert Bosch. Oh, of uh, course, yeah, uh, or Bosch, and uh, car manufacturers are then uh, under their own choice. They can then enable the code by entering certain parameters into the emissions control unit. This is why we need open source for all of the things because, you know, our buddy Chase got bit by this directly. Did he? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had to give back his uh, Volkswagen diesel and he's now driving a Ford. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 198 for May 23rd, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that might just be planning a barbecue for its birthday. My name is Chris. My name is Wes, and I'm hungry for burgers. Hello, Wes. Oh, I know. I know. Actually, or something you're, else. you're the one that dropped the word ribs. Just saying. You might have to own that one, Wes. You might have to own those barbecue Uh-oh. ribs. Coming up, though, on this week's episode, we're not there yet. We're not yet to episode 200. No, we're going to talk about some of our favorite open source projects, one that I bet you have been looking for. If you've ever considered getting a Chromecast and want to integrate it with your Linux box, we'll talk about that, which I am particularly excited about because I have a Chromecast sitting around needing to get a little more useful. If you want to update some Logitech hardware under Linux, which I do, we have some good news for you. Big updates from Solus. A new version of Nextcloud is in the house, and Joss will be here to talk about it with us. And then, the Magic Device Tool. I mentioned it a little bit last week. It promises to make my Nexus 5 usable. We'll talk with Marius, the gentleman who created the Magic Device Tool. A simple and feature-rich tool to install or replace operating systems on a lot of common phones. It's really slick. And then also, we'll tell you a little bit about our barbecue plans, a little bit of news that's going on. And, of course, all of the wonderful discussions. But one of the things I need to do right off the top, because I neglected to do it last week, right now, prepare yourselves. We're going to bring in that mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room. 
Hello, 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 dear friends. Hey, you know what? That intro, that intro right there, that whole show, powered by the new open source caster oh, soundboard. Yeah, yeah. How great was that? Hey, hello. You know what? That ding right there, also powered by the open source soundboard. One hundred percent digital ding. <laughs> It is so awesome. If you haven't checked it out yet, you should go to github.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and check out Caster Soundboard. Now with new uh, art graphics, like look at that icon right there. You see that duck? Yeah. Look uh, at that cute Albert duck. made us that. that tells, that's, the, that's the system-wide ducking. You hit that and it ducks all the audio. Awesome. Brings it down by to 33%. Such a cool piece of software, a legitimately competitive piece of software that was created by our community. And it's just and so it's come awesome. come so far so fast. Yeah, and we're using it in production now on all the shows. It's it's pretty neat, and you guys can go uh, check it out if you want. Uh, we'll talk about it. we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. That's not really it, but uh, why don't we talk about something else that's up on GitHub? MK, so Mick, maybe? <laughs> Chromecast. MK Chromecast, which allows Mac and Linux machines to send audio and video to Google Cast devices and also Sonos devices which uh, not particularly uh, appealing to me, but I bet is to some people. You can find more at uh, mkchromecast.com. And uh, it's a program that lets you cast your audio or your Linux audio, whichever, you know, it's Mac or Linux. I don't think it works on Windows. Um, And it can also send video files. Nice. Super nice, over the LAN. Um, If you've ever had like, in fact, it was like a... It must have been like Christmas or, or Thanksgiving or Halloween, some recent major holiday event. We had all these videos on my computer, and I wanted to play it for the family on the television. And I ended up like installing all these crazy uh, Chrome extensions to try to yes. make it work, and they were super rickety. This you is, have to pay a bunch. Or... Yeah, yeah. This is just using uh, FFmpeg and AVConf on the back end. Um, I think it's spinning up a Node.js instance, uh, and then it's using some MP3 codec encoding to send it to this thing. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because it's it's allowing you to uh, stream high-end audio. You can do 24-bit, uh, 96 kilohertz, high-resolution audio using this thing. And the other thing that's really nice about it is it integrates in on either the macOS menu bar or uh, if you're on GNOME or the Plasma desktop, it can also integrate with the desktop there too. So you get a little, uh, you get a little uh, like a little Chromecast icon. Look at that! And, yeah. That is slick. Yeah, how fantastic would this be, right? Now, uh, Sweetlo, you were going to mention uh, Cast now. Yeah, I'm assuming that uh, this MK Chromecast program uh, works similar to uh, how Cast now works. Yeah, because uh, I, I I've ran Cast now a couple times before, and then it. It it did the job in that, yep. uh, mostly during times when I was uh, having issues with something like YouTube or something. You I know? think yep. one thing CastNow can do that this can't, but I'm not positive, is I think CastNow supports torrents directly. Um, oh, but yeah, right. the CastNow is command line only, whereas mm-hmm. this integrates in with the menu bar on your desktop and yes. stuff, which some people would prefer. And it looks like CastNow okay. isn't super is, – I mean, there are some people making commits to it, but uh, yeah. on the readme there, it talks about how the guy's kind of moved on. He's using DLNA. So I know I'd use CastNow in the past too. So it's interesting yep. to see another contender. Yeah. Because um, kind of yeah. like Sweetly says, I know I've run into times where certain content providers are oh, like, yeah. why are you not working? I could just download the file, play it on the TV. So, hey, there you go. Well, and there is some legitimate use for Chromecast like in the workspace, too. So if you could throw a Chromecast on a television oh, yeah, in a conference yeah. room and now you can send stuff to it from your Linux box, yeah, it could be some money. 
Heck Pay yes. some money. So it's MK Chromecast. Uh, it's only it's only hundred dollars. So you just go there. Um, you give them your username. Yeah, if you don't have an account, create one. Give them your shipping address. Social. Make sure you have a U.S. credit card. They only take U.S. credit card. Yeah, maybe your social. And then it's only a hundred dollars. Um, um, well, what? I'm sorry. What? Oh, this is not the Mac Action Show. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, it's free on GitHub. Uh huh. Okay. I'm sorry. It uses something called the open source, and uh, it's free. It's totally free. 100%. Who knew? Can we trust that? Who knew? I, I wouldn't. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I guess if right, you want to well, take your own risk. You come back next week with a paid version, and maybe we'll talk. I'm just telling you, man. I'm just telling you. It's for people who like to mess with computers. That is not us. So I like to mess with my hardware peripherals. I have a bunch of, right now in front of me, I have a bunch of Logitech hardware. And one of the things that's great about Logitech is they have these unifying receivers. You put one USB, little itty-bitty USB receiver, and you can have your mouse and your keyboard using one receiver. Well, guess what? (laughs) There was a vulnerability, in fact, a whole suite of vulnerabilities, and when you put them all together, it even has a great name called MouseJack. It uses a whole bunch of different stuff, vulnerabilities that are targeted at the low-level wireless protocol that's used by the unifying devices. Uh, They can do things like pair new devices without prompting the user. They can inject keystrokes. Uh They can inject raw hid commands with about $15 of hardware. (laughs) You could be 50 meters away in doing this. So that typical imagine sitting in a cafe scenario is, of course, it's very scary. I mean, I have a little mouse I take with me everywhere. Uh, Yeah, me too. I'm I'm all about Mm -hmm. uh, these Logitech uh, MX Anywheres are the best little uh, laptop mice on the market. And so I have these unifying receivers everywhere. And uh, so Logitech, Bastille Security worked with them, and Logitech acknowledged they had a problem, and it took them a couple of releases, but after a couple of releases, they have some updates that fix it. It took them a few weeks, but they got it. They they fixed it. The the issue is solved, unless you're running Linux. So they call up Logitech, and they're like, okay, here's what we're thinking about doing. The cat's out of the bag on this whole mousejack thing. So we now know how we can randomly flash firmware onto your proprietary hardware. If you gave us a little bit of official documentation, I bet you we could flash that secure firmware onto these receivers using FW Upload, which is a standard Linux utility. It took a couple of weeks, um, and they rewrote the previously reverse-engineered plugin for FW Upload. The new documentation from Logitech came in, so they knew exactly what they were supposed to, how everything was supposed to match up, byte by byte. They compared it with the Windows Update version, and they were able to push this new firmware. You, you, you could actually test it too right now. If you'd like to test it, you need to get the new version of FW Upload because um, you have to be able to talk to the hardware. Right. And so you need version 0.9.2-2, which is in Fedora 26 right now. Um, and you can get it from Koji or for, or for Fedora. If you scroll just down a little bit there, doesn't doesn't it sure look nice in that GNOME software? Yeah. Thing? You just have that little update. This is the idea, right, is they can then use this down the road via GNOME software update to update firmware like this. That's brilliant, I think. And it shows you, like, how everything – you got to be thinking about the update lifecycle on everything yes. now. We're so used to talking about – we're about to talk about an update to NextCloud. We're used to talking about an update to our GNOME desktop. There's even like bootloader code on these little receivers that they that the documentation turtles all the way down, it, and the, the turtles <laughs> run horrible ancient software. Yes, very well put. It is turtles all the way down. That's why we always are looking for a little refreshing cup of tea, um, or maybe a nice relaxing bowl of soup. But we got a little plasma in the soup this time. Uh-oh. Yeah. So Ike has a, uh, a a rare blog post over at the Solus site. And uh, it looks like, ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves for the shocker of a lifetime. But it's it's early days, 
But the plasma desktop is coming to Solus. And uh, I actually think this is a great combination. That's why I wanted to put it in here because I think Solus is a great distribution. And I think if you, I think this could be one of the great plasma distributions if they work on it. So right now, it's not officially supported. But but somebody in the, so they have Peter. He's working in the project. He's been he's been maintaining plasma packages and KDE dependencies for a while because it turns out things like KDE and Live, Corita, K3B, pretty popular among Solus users. So they're already packing in all of uh-huh. the dependencies for that, anyways. And they're packaging. So it wasn't that much further to just yeah yeah yeah. So uh, the way Ike writes this is he says Peter's ambition is to eventually support a full plasma stack on Solus, and if you want to help him get there. You can help him evolve it, so you can get involved, work with Peter, help Peter report bugs, um, things like that. So, do you think this would be something that you're interested in? Are you uh, are you doing it over here now? Is this Solus here? No, or? I just wanted you to. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Maybe I I I would consider it. I would definitely give it. I would definitely kick the tires. Uh, and and Ike here has laid out too. Uh, who, who's now working on the different desktops? Josh is working on Gnome Shell. Ike's working on Budgie. Peter on KD Plasma. Nice Justin on Mate. How the projects, you know, yeah. what they're each kind of focusing yeah. on. And- yeah, good for them. Good for them. I'm pretty jazzed about it. I'm excited to see where they take Budgie. I think it's great to have another distribution where Plasma could eventually become a tier one citizen. Patreon.com slash Solus if you want to help them. I think this would be a great way, even if you're not running Solus, but you like what they're doing. I, and I just I really like the idea that there's a project out there that's making a really modern distro with, and they're not um, they're not being religious about what desktop you have to use, they're, they're, and they're playing well with others too. Patreon.com/slash/solus, and uh, keep up the great work, guys. Keep I'm, I'm I'll, I'll, I'll probably be checking it out. I'll probably check. I it bet out. you will. So Nextcloud 12 is out, and uh, Joss is here to chat with us about it. So before we go there, before we get any further, let's take a moment and thank our first sponsor this week, Linux oh, Academy. Yeah. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged, a platform where you can learn more about Linux and all of the technology around Linux. I think this is a resource that if you would have told Chris from 10 years ago existed, he would have been delighted. When I first started working with Linux, I actually just went and got a bunch of books, and then I tried to find community college courses, and it was always hit and miss on how good the instructor was going to be. And I would try to figure out what courseware would be the best investment of my time. And there was really no oversight or way to figure it all out, especially for somebody who's busy and had a lot going on. Linux Academy checks all those boxes and more. So it's built by people that are incredibly passionate about Linux. They have full-time instructors available when you need them. They're continually investing in content. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're continually investing in content to make Linux Academy more valuable. They have hands-on labs and exercises. They have in-depth cert training if that's the route you want to go. You get unlimited access to the courses. They spin up the servers on demand when you need them. They're even doing deep dives into things like AWS and Azure and all that kind of stuff. Man, it is a new world, and Linux Academy is going to help you meet it head on. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. You go there. You sign up for a free seven-day trial. Try them all out. Get a little idea of how it works. Wrap your head around it a bit. Enjoy. And if you have any questions, take advantage of that instructor mentoring. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Sign up for a free seven-day trial and support the show. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. See, I think at that point, you'd have to work hard to not learn something. (laughs) Ah, man. You would really have to not want to learn. Yeah, right. Which would sort of defeat the purpose. Why why are you doing that? (laughs) So Joss joins us again. Hey, Joss, welcome back to the show, sir. Good to have you. 
Hey guys, nice to be here again. Thanks for inviting me. Now we have a new Nextcloud on our hands, and it looks like it's going global scale this time. Congrats. Yeah, you like that, huh? I do, I do, I do like that. Um, There's also a couple other features in there that are actually more applicable directly to me, like writable public links, improvements to the audio-video chat. But, Joss, you're the expert. Where do you think we should start on the new release? Well, let's start indeed about the the, the smaller features. Well, I mean, next to global scale, everything looks small. That's kind of the point of it. But, yeah, I, I think the collaboration feature that you mentioned, like that you can send a public link to someone with like a Collabora file, you know, a docx or something, and then they can add it together with you. They don't need an account. That's really nice. Very nice. Um, so it's essentially a, a very easy drop-in replacement for Google Docs because the end user you're just sending a link to, they just click it and they're, they're in. They don't have to worry about what the software is. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Our Office 365, I mean, that's kind of unofficially what we're going after uh, I mean, a lot of the other features, you see the same thing. I mean, you have, and obviously on top of that, you have all the control things, you know, that you can say, okay, file access control, you can only, you can limit, you know, access to files from certain IP ranges or, or certain file types. You can say like, yeah, you know, people in the HR department, when they uh, share an XLS, um, you know, an Excel sheet via public link, you know, that is not accessible from outside of the company uh, internal network, stuff like that. You know, so you can put these these policies on top of it, which you can't really do with most of the other solutions because it just well, they're not self-hosted. They they're not built to give you that kind of control as an administrator. Sure. And uh, what uh, what are the uh, what are the when you say the big changes for like the the global scale? What does that really translate to? What is what are the real technical changes happening behind the scenes? Yeah. So so global scale. Let me introduce it quickly for those who haven't seen it or seen our video. So. The idea behind global scale is to transform the architecture of Nextcloud. So, so Nextcloud, wow. when, when Frank started this seven, eight years ago, it, it started as a standard web app. So in a web application, you can scale by just throwing more hardware at it, at least to a certain degree. So with Nextcloud, you, can, you have an application server, Nextcloud itself, and then you have database and storage and, and a user directory like LDAP. And you yeah. connect yeah. it to those three. And... Nextcloud itself scales almost without limits. If you want twice as many users, you just put down two Nextcloud servers. But the thing is, they both need to connect to the same database and the same storage and the same user directory. So at a certain scale, and I mean, you're talking about 10, 20, 30,000 users is all quite doable. But if you get above 50,000, you really need to buy very expensive enterprise storage, very expensive enterprise databases. It gets very pricey and slow at some point. So that's what we wanted to fix. And um, so that's also what makes it more than interesting for really big uh, solutions. So global scale, the goal was to scale beyond 100 million users. Like seriously, huge installations should be possible. And the second goal was to lower the costs. As I said, you, you get really high storage and database costs at the high end, at the large installations. Right. And the third was actually something a lot of people have been asking for, which is to be able to say about the, the data that's on your next cloud, to be able to kind of split it up and to say, look, I want this data to physically stay in San Francisco and this data to physically stay in Germany. Now, you kind of could do that with Nextcloud 11 and 10 and, you know, other older releases by using federation. 
And you would simply have two servers. And then the users would have to log in to one or the other. And then they could share with each other because they were connected via federation. That's kind of nice. We still have multiple places to log in. And what if an employee moves from the US to Europe? You know, like you have to close their account and then create a new account, move their data, all their shares would be gone. That's kind of uncool. So it wouldn't act like one instance, a little bit, but not really. So this is what Global Scale is about, to make these three things different. And it does that by splitting up, indeed, what, what Federation did, except that it adds a couple of components on top of that to make it act like a single instance. Oh. So you get the Global Site Selector. It's simply a server that... Where you log in, uh, you go to cloud.nextcloud.com. It's what I do every day, right? That's our internal cloud. And from there, it automatically redirects you to the node where your data is. So in my case, it would be in Germany. And what right? is doing, and that, what's doing that there, redirection? Is there some global master login database that knows where to send people? Yeah, so that's the, the global site selector itself. It uh-huh. knows where you are. The global and site selector. Kind of is, is, is this a new piece of Is this a new piece of server software that NextCloud is publishing? Yes, correct. It's a, it's, it's a new separate... Uh, we actually implemented it. Um, actually, I have to see how it was implemented. Give me a second. Um, Interesting, though. I, because I, a number of things was done as an app, and I, I would have to look up the details there. But yeah. um, it's a separate server component. It's okay. a separate thing that you have to run, um, and that's where the users log in, and then it redirects them. And the user sets a cookie so that they don't have to go over this server every single time, right? Because oh. your client logs in every 30 seconds, and that would mean with 100 million users, you get 300 million uh, connections every, you know, 30 seconds. Sure. That would be, or that, that's a little crazy. <laughs> so it, they remember what the note was. But as a user, you don't notice that. It's not that your URL changes. You just go to cloud.nextcloud.com. Cool. Yeah, so, so you're in one place, but in the underlying there, you're actually connected to a local data center with local data switch fast. It's under control of the local sysadmins. They can say this data has to stay here or there. And, you know, it's all transparent for you. Awesome. So that's one component. Okay. And then there are two more. So the second component, that will be the lookup server. So the lookup server, it knows where you are. It's actually the global site selector that would um, uh, that keeps a database um, with the node. But the lookup server knows where you physically are. It also um, knows your uh, user sharing ID. And when you migrate between nodes and your sharing ID changes too, then the lookup server will keep a list of those. So that if somebody connects, is looking for an old sharing ID, then the lookup server will redirect that to the new one. So the lookup server is all about sharing. Now, even if you would uh, switch between, for example, providers, uh, but I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later, but lookup server is really important also for normal users. Like this is not only relevant for 100 million user deployment, but also for smaller ones. I'll get to that. So and it also stores information about you, like uh, the quality of service metrics, like like your storage and quota settings, your, your reliability class. Maybe you want your data replicated at least three times. You know, maybe you're a VIP and, you know, you need always to be on SSD, stuff like that. That's all in the lookup server. Interesting. And then the third part is the balancer. 
and the balancer also runs on a dedicated machine and it monitors all the nodes. So in Nextcloud uh, 10, you might remember, we introduced the monitoring app, which gives you either via the web interface or via an API information about the CPU load, the memory load, right. you know, the number of shares, number of users, all this kind of information. Now, this actually fits with the balancer because it takes that data and it keeps track of it. And when it sees that the node is overloaded, it can actually initiate a migration of user accounts from oh. one load to another. Yeah, so or if it sees, it asks the lookup server where a user is, and then it says, oh, this user just moved from the US to Europe. Let's migrate the user from the US data center to the Europe data center, and bang, the balancer makes that happen. Or maybe you need to be moved on SSD because you bought an upgrade from your server provider and you want yeah. and you need faster data transfer. So oh, the balancer will make sure that you get on SSDs. So this is the kind of stuff that the balancer does. That is so that is that sounds super high end and fancy for enterprises. Sounds like it'd probably be amazing for a lot of flexible too. Yeah, yeah, and and probably very useful for a lot of state installations. Is there benefits that the home user or smaller you know small office user will also uh, glean from any of this? Yeah, so that's a cool thing. There are a number of elements where this helps normal users. Now, first of all, of course, the ability to migrate between servers. Imagine you're at one service provider and you don't like them. You can migrate to another with all oh, your yeah, data, yeah, with yeah. everything. I mean, that's really cool. Yeah, this, this is something we're working on, by the way. I have to give a little caveat here. So global scale isn't done yet. We have a couple of pieces. We have, for example, the... Um, the lookup server, we have the global site selector. The lookup server still needs more work, but it's already up and running. We're using this already. Uh, the balancer still needs to be done. Um, we've started working on the migration, but at the moment, this is only doing the data of the user, so it's not doing a lot yet. Just speaking of the global server, if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm Justin Trudeau and I, I want to move the entire Canadian government over to Nextcloud, can I run my own global server? Can I, it, it, or is that something that's only hosted by Nextcloud? How does that particular part work? No, this is part of your own installation. So all these pieces are fully open source. They're in our GitHub. And the idea is that, well, we would probably need to help a customer to set all this stuff up, especially if yeah. you're big like the Canadian government. Yeah. But you would run all these components as part of your infrastructure. And that would then be one massive Nextcloud system that consists of nodes in every major city, for example. So everybody has fast access. But at the same time, you know, it's cheap because you're on all these small you know, a like two machines or something, you know, we're thinking that nodes would have two to maybe six machines and that's all commodity hardware. So that's way cheaper than this really high end storage stuff that you currently need. Hmm. So are, are you guys going to uh, put feelers out with companies to see if they want to become like a next cloud provider? So there is already like a few dozen next cloud providers and some of the bigger ones will definitely be interested in this. Uh, this is also something that might be interesting for service providers, like uh, for telephone providers, for example, Telecom, uh, yeah. T-Mobile, uh, Vodafone. Those those guys might be interested in this as well to provide this to their customers. Because until now, you know, with OwnCloud and now NextCloud, you couldn't really do this because you couldn't get 50 million, 10 million users on a single system, right? I mean, that, that wouldn't really work well. And with global scale, you can actually do this now. So that's really a nice step forward. Hmm. Another nice thing, because you were asking about what this does for home users, another nice thing is this lookup server. Because we already had a lookup server, a more limited lookup server. And the idea of the lookup server was always to 
allow you to store your federated cloud ID and maybe some personal data that you choose, for example, your Twitter account, so that people could look up what your federated cloud ID is so they can share with oh, you. Wow. It's like an email address. They could look it up on the lookup server. They say, oh, I know this guy's, you know, I know Chris Lust. That's his Twitter account. You know, you look it up and then you get your federated cloud sharing ID and then they can share files with you. That's cool. Yeah. Huh. So, so this is all in beta right now, yes? It's all, all still kind of... Yeah, beta is a good term for it. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we're putting all the pieces together now, yeah. um, but we want the people to talk about this, to help us test it, you know, to, to get involved with this, to give feedback on it. And the core NextCloud 12 release is out and solid. Sounds like a lot of folks are already jumping on and doing the upgrade. Oh, yeah, it's totally, it's really cool, actually. I, I tweeted earlier today, you know, it's so nice to see so many people say like, yeah, you know, we're upgraded and it was totally smooth as I've gotten used to. That's great. Now, you might remember in the old days, it wasn't always like that. <laughs> um, and I haven't seen a single person complain about upgrades yet, except one person was really angry on the forums because an upgrade from beta one to beta two didn't work well. Hmm. Now, I personally take it as a compliment that the only fault you can find is in a pre-release version, you know. So, yeah, this this is really yeah. nice to see that we really managed to get like, the update yeah. and upgrade and issues under control. I got I to gotta say, I really like seeing, as far as security goes, um, I like seeing rate limiting in there, which is kind of nice for developers to be able to specify Definitely. like yeah, certain rate limits based on IP range and time periods. And looks like some improvements to two-factor authentication, support for other authentication mechanisms like OpenID and OAuth 2 and Kerberos. That's all pretty solid stuff, Joss. Yeah, it's full of really cool features. I mean, you have a lot of uh, functions like the, the guest app. You know, you can create a temporary restricted account to a customer or a friend or a partner to, to, to share data with. Um, you have an app that can, uh, well, we're working on a backup app now. A lot of users will probably be very happy to oh, hear that. It's yeah. Frank himself who started to, to code that together at the last hack week. Awesome. So that's really, really cool. And uh, we have the Circles app, which is... Um, well, it's like user-defined groups, you know. You can you can create your own groups of people that you share with a lot. Um, and one thing that its developer is already working on um, is to make it impossible to also just share your mood, you know, like a status update. <laughs> and at that point, then people who would follow you are p- as part of a circle because people can join circles and leave circles. They can see status updates. I mean, you all know where this is going, right? Yeah. yeah that's really cool stuff. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That'll be something to watch for. See where uh-huh. that develops. Mm-hmm. Huh. huh. Boy, I mean, you, what, you guys don't have enough things you're taking on? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, we have all the pieces already, right? We have this federation. This just kind of piggies back on it. Like with Nextcloud 12, one of the little changes to federation that, that comes together with other stuff is that you are now fe- that we are now federating activities. So if you federate a file, uh, you share a file from one Nextcloud server to another server, and then on the other server it gets changed by the recipient, then you will see that in your activity feed now. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's and, cool. Yeah, and, and once we have this like metadata sharing between servers in place, well, it's completely trivial. Like it, it's... Uh, just a small number of lines of code to also share non-file related events, which would be like mood, Ooh. right? It's, huh. it's actually quite a simple thing to just inject something else in there. So we're building this infrastructure and we're just using it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and actually, it, it, as you were talking, I was thinking that very thing, and it just seems to it all make sense. It seems like a good direction to go, yeah. and it seems like functionality will make sharing between Nextcloud servers even easier. Well, suddenly Nextcloud's like a, a core part of the like yeah. lifeblood of my system. It could be know? like the utility of file sharing and collaboration that uh, that now different vendors could provide, and you as a user could move between. It sounds like with pretty uh, easy. yeah. So vendor lock in, right? We yeah. just kind of kill vendor lock in exactly. with this stuff. Yeah, provide. Yeah. Or, or, uh, yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, this this is really quite awesome. Uh, another thing that I don't want to, I want to make sure we don't miss it is the sure. video, uh, audio and video calls, right? We we oh, introduced yeah, yeah. this as kind of a tech preview in eleven, yeah, and in twelve it's becoming really solid. Wow. Uh, we use wow. it now internally for our company calls every week, and it's working really, really well. Um, and you can now share uh, your screen. So as screen sharing is built in, that's kind of the one big feature. But there's one other feature that we're working on, uh, which is already part of the server side, but it's not yet published in the client. It's coming. This is push notifications. Hmm. Yeah? So you on your cloud, you can call somebody, and then they'll actually get that call on their phone real time. Oh, as a push notification. So wow. you can actually really use it to replace, you know, WhatsApp or Signal or whatever you're using to call people, right? It's peer-to-peer, private, yeah, that's all there. So we're working on, on integrating that in the clients. Wow. And one of the things that we want to do in time is also to federate these calls. So you have one server and you can call a user on another server. Combine it with the lookup server, and suddenly you have a completely decentralized audio-video call system from Nextcloud servers all over the world. Woo. So we've gone from documents and simple files all the way to a full, crazy, enterprise-ready VoIP system. This is uh, this, yeah, and screen sharing too. That's pretty cool. That is. Yeah, the cool thing is people ask for this, right? I mean, in in in. 2005, 2010, you know, you, you, you would share files and have them on multiple servers uh, or multiple devices, you know, on your phone or your desktop. That was awesome. But, you know, if you receive a file from someone, it's shared by them, what's missing is context. You know, normally you would have sent an email and you would say, hey, I need you to review this. But if you share it via Dropbox or Nextcloud, you miss context. So we added comments. But then, you know, you see in a comment and somebody says, well, this file, this is completely stupid. And then you want to call, right? You, you don't want to have a whole yelling session in the chat. That doesn't work. <laughs> so we need to be able to call. And then, you know, you say, okay, let's just make this document right together. And you want to have a collaborative editing solution. We got that too. So, so this is kind of a natural progression that you start to need all these pieces coming together. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, you can see some of the some of the areas that we're using other tools, maybe commercial tools at that, that are getting really popular right now. That can do some of this stuff, but it's there's not there's not a big gap where if you just add a few more of these things to Nextcloud, it right. can do all of the stuff those can do and a lot more. And it's much, much, much more under users' control. You could obviously take advantage of the fact that it's open source. I mean, it's all the stuff with monitoring and the management options. Yeah, yeah with the recent features too. Yeah, I mean, who? Boy, really, really exciting stuff. Yas, thank you for coming on the show and telling us. About hey, this. my pleasure, guys. It's always nice to present uh, what we're doing to you guys. I mean, it's exciting stuff, and I'm always glad that you guys, you know, see it for what it's worth and uh, like it. So I got to tell you, too, uh, it's obvious you guys are hustling over there, too. So 
um, really a lot of respect too for how hard you guys are working. And it's I, uh, if I'm picking up just even half of what you're putting down, it seems like you guys have got a a real vision on something you can go after and something that you're actually already executing on. So congrats. yeah, I mean, they started seven years, seven and a half years ago. And it's on one hand, it's the same vision. And on the other hand, it has evolved since then, right? I mean, yeah, it started right, with just right. give people a way to control their data. Well, okay, now we add collaboration and, you know, communication to sure. it. But yep. it's still, the key is the same. And the approach is the same, right? Super easy to use, you know, super, um, like, try to make it reliable first before you add, you know, the whole kitchen sink to it. I mean, yeah. these things have always been what we did, and, and we yeah. keep doing that, and, it and is, it's working. People love it. It is, uh, it is, it is essentially a, a visioning of how this technology could be used if it worked out the way we all wanted it to work out. Instead of having these things locked off with vendor lock-in and cloud lock-in, it's it's the it's the opposite of that. It's how we could how the ideal version of how we could have done this, and it's really nice to see. Not only, by the way, is all this technical stuff impressive, but the UI is looking great, performance is looking great, security is getting better all the time too. So it's really kind of just firing on all cylinders. And guys, check out all of the info about the new release. We have it all uh, in the show notes. Nextcloud twelve. There's uh, links to uh, blog posts and and all of that stuff. Yas, is there anything else you want to? Uh, Toss him before we roll. Yeah, somebody on the chat is just pointing out that I should really uh, say something about an Imker image that just shared. Um, so one big annoyance of a lot of sysadmins that would upgrade Nextcloud um, and before, obviously, uh, is that you have to re-enable the apps always. We fixed it. Oh. So if you have PHP 7 and you upgrade your Nextcloud, you don't need to re-enable apps. Uh, Nextcloud will automatically check if if they are compatible, if not, it will try to update them from the App Store, and after that, re-enable them again. Ah, Hallelujah! Brilliant, very nice. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's those little things that make a big difference. Yeah, you know, right. this was. Every on the other day. hand, the fact that this was kind of one of the major issues that people still had with Nextcloud does tell you how far we've come. Yeah, that's true. That's it's a good problem. If that's your problem, it's a good one to have. All right, thank you, uh-huh. thank you, Yas. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Have a good show. Thank you, sir. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Magic Device Tool here in just a moment, and uh, I couldn't think of a better time to mention Ting. Two things that would go great together, like peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and chocolate. Ting is a smarter way to do mobile. It's it's how we'd have to do mobile today if we just all of a sudden had mobile service. Like if the if everything was equal and the carriers had to compete You're fairly. You're dreaming. I know, but that's this is how it would work. It would be $6 for your line. You just pay for your line. And then it would just be your usage, just whatever you use. That's that's what that's how the market would work. There'd be no contracts or agreements, no early termination fees. You just buy the device, you choose if you want CDMA or GSM, and you'd pay for what you use. That's Ting. That's how Ting does it. It's a smarter way to do mobile. And one of the things I love about it is there are months where I am antisocial and I really do not pay much. There's some months, maybe like a like Linux Fest Northwest month, uh, I might I might have like a forty five dollar bill. That month, and then the and then the month after that, because I I am so done talking to people, I might have like a twenty dollar bill. It, it's really nice. It, it, at the end of the year, I end up saving like two thousand dollars compared to my other service plans I had before I switched. It's incredible. Linux.ting.com is where you go to save twenty five dollars off a device, or if you have a device that works with Ting, twenty five dollars in service credit. What I know, and the average bill is just twenty three dollars per line. 
So if you get $25 in service credit, it's going to pay for more than your first month of service. And that's crazy because not only do they have nationwide coverage, no contracts, it's pay for what you use, and they have a great dashboard, but they also have fantastic customer service and a great range of devices from ones you can bring yourself, pick up from the Play Store, or buy. They even will help you find one if you contact their customer service. And I got to say, probably the best ever customer service experience I've ever had was when I've called Ting. They also have like a uh, they have like a little giveaway going on right now. If you describe your home screen in a haiku, <laughs> you know the home screen of your phone, yes. they're doing a giveaway. Uh, Ting credit, maybe a Moto G5, things like that. You can find out details at the Ting blog. Just do me a favor. First, go to linux.ting.com and then uh, head out from there. Check it out. See how much you might save. It's just such a better way to do mobile. And it's really, really, really fantastic for $6 a month to have like a couple of GSM or CDMA lines that you can activate devices for testing. It's a great way to test devices. It's a handy way to keep something connected, like say a tablet that you use with your drone or something like that. I just love it. It's so handy, all the different ways linux.ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Now, Marius joins us uh, from uh, from way over across the world where it is way, way, let me look, I thought I had the clock up here, but I think it's like 11 o'clock, Yikes. 11 p.m. Thanks for staying up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Marius, welcome to, am I saying, is it Marius? Is it, am I saying your name right? Make sure I don't mess it up too long. You can say Marius or Marius, that's fine. <laughs> Thank oh, you for man. having me. All right, all right. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't guy. make it last week. Oh, no problem, no problem. It gave me a chance to mess around uh, with Magic Device Tool, uh, which I was pleasantly surprised to see that all of the dependencies are in the AUR, and it's also a very easy uh, snap to install. And if you have Ubuntu, it's just a couple of app commands away to get all the essential files and dependencies you need to be able to flash uh, any of the more recent BQ Aquarius devices we've talked about, like the E5 or the M10, the Nexus 4, Nexus 5, Nexus 7 2013, Samsung Nexus 10, the OnePlus One, the Fairphone 2, any of these devices. Of course, I have the Nexus 5. You have made a tool that essentially makes these devices relevant again. I mean, it really does. Uh, and uh, I just – I wanted to bring you on just for a little bit to talk about how the hell are you doing this and uh, how can we help you do it more? So let's start with the first one. How, how are you doing this, Black Magic? How are you hacking my phone uh, and uh, replacing the uh, very secure and safe uh, image on there with Cyanogen or Lineage or Maru or, or even uh, you know, that there Ubuntu Touch? What Black Magic are you using, sir? So I have to tell you a bit of a story back then uh, from the history of Magic Device Tool. Um, when we started it back in, or basically when I started it back in July 2016, I had like uh, all of this, all of the Ubuntu Touch devices that were out there uh, back in the time. And uh, yeah, I wanted to make it easy to flash Ubuntu on it. And uh, but I also was one of the guys who uh, get, got really annoyed by by Ubuntu after after a short time and wanted to get back <laughs> on Synergy mod or on Lineage. No, Lineage came came later, but still. And uh, yeah, I was I was tired of of uh, doing all the fast boot and ADB commands, and I was like, okay, uh, you're going to write a script which does all, which does, is, is going to do all of this automatically. And then I added a few other devices, and then it, it kind of exploded. And now I'm sitting here with, uh, let me count, I think over 10 devices sitting on my desk at the moment. I, all of them are charging, and I, yeah, basically after every new release of, of whatever ROM, I have to check if the update is still working and if it's still compatible with Magic Device Tool. So it's, it's a constant process. So I imagine you probably have a few micro USB cables around your house. Um, yeah, I would say too much, too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pretty cool tool, um, and uh, I I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about uh, about um, 
how people are using it today because it seems to me that uh, I found out about it because I was reading a thread on Lineage OS, and I knew I'd heard of it obviously before, but I it came back up into my into my on my radar when I was reading a thread about Lineage OS. Seems to me there's a lot of folks that want to use this to flash Lineage OS on their device. So, uh, how is it being used today versus how it was originally envisioned? Well, back when we started it, it was obviously mostly used for flashing Ubuntu on it or yeah. making backups or yeah. some of the other functions. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, well, thanks to the recent news uh, by Canonical, uh, many of the former Ubuntu people now got back onto on the Telegram chat and started asking questions about how, to, uh, how they could get back onto Lineage or to awesome. AOSP. And, and yeah, if I, I, unfortunately, I can't really track how uh, how many of the uh, what functions are mostly get used. I can only see the the mm-hmm. current download numbers from the snap, but I, I think it's like mostly lineageless in the last few months. So you know, what do you? What are the things that I'm, I would say if I had like my my critical hat on? Is I would say things like there's only a very small fraction of the user base that's ever going to want to install Lineage OS or Maru, which also looks very cool, or Ubuntu Touch. This is uh, this is uh, this is just something that only nerds want to do. What, Marius, what are your thoughts on that? And and what are your thoughts on on sort of uh, working on something that's sort of on the fringe like this? Do you do you do you think it's a uphill battle, or do you, what is do you find a purpose in it? Well, it basically makes my life much easier so, because I'm I'm sometimes I'm I'm just switching devices because I'm thanks to the Ubuntu project I have so many sitting on my desk and sometime uh, sometime or someday I just pick up the Nexus Four or the Nexus Seven and decide that that's going to be my daily phone or tablet that's, for that week. Yeah, it's still and, usable um, and relevant. It absolutely is, yeah. 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 And and we've uh, also recently added other ROMs to it, like Mero OS and yeah. uh, and what's it called, Phoenix OS, which is like which is uh, a bit like Remix OS, but for more devices. And um, yeah, it it's basically just an. Well, if other people wouldn't wouldn't say that they that they're using it, and we just recently passed the ten thousand downloads from the Snap Store from Edge Device to it, so people are clearly using it. Yeah, um, I, I also would have just bought it for myself, <laughs> which, which is basically how it started. That's yeah, that's totally understandable. I so I uh, I I really found it valuable because I I'm like I have this Nexus Five here. My kids would love to have another device to play around on. Why not flash it with Lineage or Maru or you know just play around with Sailfish again? Like make it the device totally relevant yeah. again and make it usable and the performance is surprisingly good it's it's totally usable. and a lot of these devices you know you have otherwise i mean my mom has a nexus 5 she bought it like six yes. months ago so other it was otherwise brand new still yeah and it works fine for her but i want her to have some you know i might even want to customize it more i think also like what you were talking about sure there's like you know some niche aspect to this but this tool really bridges the gap for like if you were even considering trying it suddenly you have to become like kind of an Android expert. Not so if you yeah. have a, something like this. That's like, why I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, it really didn't exist before. I had no interest in in like all that other, like all the other stuff you'd have to learn. But I just to try it really quick on an old Nexus 5 I had sitting around, it was the perfect level mm-hmm. of, of resistance. It was, okay, I, I can manage to make this work, especially because I, all the stuff in, I needed was in the AUR too, which yes. <laughs> made it pretty nice. But Marius, can we talk a little bit about the uh, snap process? Is that something you were involved in? And what's your impression been sure. so far? Um, well, I think we've moved, uh, well, I do have to start with, um, the magic device tool was a few months before still adjust a, a bash script, which we had to start manually. Mm. And, um, then 
I think it was like four months ago, um, Canonical started promoting the Snapcraft, uh, to, uh, Snapcraft tool. Um, so basically just this little one command line tool, which makes it easy to, to create your snaps and to upload them to the store. And um, I was thinking with it for, I think, one evening and the, the, the end result that I got was almost perfectly working. And then we, we refined it. And so it's it's very easy. Every change that we are pushing to the Git repository gets automatically picked up by the Launchpad server, which are then going to build a snap and then re-uploading them to the store. So I basically just have to commit to the Git uh, cool. repository and then everything gets done automatically. It all just nice. happens after that. That is the, it's way awesome. of, that yes. is the way of the future. I swear that's so great. Yeah, I... I was uh, so if I could if I could just interject. Yeah. There's um what what Marius is using. There's um if you go to build.snapcraft.io. Okay. You can connect your GitHub repository to our build farm, which in turn is connected to the store. So every time there's a con- commit in GitHub, the snap is built on all of the architectures in the build farm. So that's all of the ARM architectures and all of the uh, Intel architectures and some of the more exotic ones, if you choose them, and then gets published into the Edge channel in the store. That's pretty sweet. So, and this is how Rekai hooked up Caster Soundboard to the Snap Store. That so that is great. So Caster Soundboard is going to be a, is a Snap. That's, yeah, that's good. Beautiful. That's good. That is really good. Cool. And and you mentioned earlier, I was listening. You said AIF doesn't play when you were doing things, and you had to convert it in yeah. Sound Converter. Mm-hmm. So I've updated the snap to add the necessary um, codecs. So AIF works gentleman. on the snap. True gentleman, a true gentleman. This is pretty great. I love seeing this stuff come together uh, as as these snap packages. I I really there was a there was another. Oh yeah, Visual Studio Code was announced this week. Is that's snap right? Package. Yes, it was. So that's. This it's a pretty interesting range from a very high end GUI application to a command line tool that will flash a smartphone to uh, a Visual Studio Code editing tool. Like it's a uh, wow, that's a big range. That's a big range. So Marius, where where do you go next? I know one of the top questions people always ask is uh, what what do I got to do to get uh, this X Y Z hardware supported? Exactly. Like, so where do you guys go next in terms of the project and in terms of hardware support? Well, as I said, most of the emails that I'm, I'm getting like 10 or, or 15 emails per day, which is like, please support device mm-hmm. X. And uh, I have to reply, no, it's it's not, it's not, um, uh, matching the requirements of our, of our guidelines that we have set up. <laughs> um, but but still, um, what we are going to do next is uh, that I definitely have to mention this because Max, who is also listening to this live, uh, was just messaging me. Um, he basically rewrote the whole tool and uh, he's a friend of mine. He's working on a community project that I'm involved with and he's uh, he basically completely re- rewrote the Magic Device tool and the new release that will come, that will come out, I hope, next month. Um, will feature a completely Qt GUI, so it will no longer be, well, it can still uh, be a, a command line tool, but it's, it will also come with a GUI soon, and um, we will uh-huh. maybe refine the process of um, how to add new devices and make it a bit more modular so that other people can can uh, contribute to it, uh, which is already happening, but uh, I think we can, we can do better on that front. Yeah, it seems like there's more interest now than ever. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. And if uh, you guys want to check it out, we have links in the show notes. That's right. If you just Google Magic Device Tool, though, it's like the first thing that comes up. Oh, Wimpy, yeah. you, you wanted to and jump Maybe, in maybe let me plug uh, one yeah. thing right, oh, real absolutely. quick. Um, we also have got a Telegram group, um, which is basically an update and support channel and where, where you can ask questions. And it's magicdevicetool.com slash Telegram. Oh, easy peasy. So easy. Yeah. 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 Magicdevicetool.com slash Telegram. Exactly. Uh, now, Wimpy, you wanted to jump in with something. Go ahead. I was just looking at the store statistics and I was bowled over. Do you realize how many installs you've had, Marius? I know. We've recently passed the 10,000 downloads. Yeah. 
over 10,000 snapping That's scores. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I have no idea who these people are, but I'm glad to find it that uh, the thing that I produce is useful. Well, you know, I really think it's just about anybody who's not on Ubuntu that wants Magic Device Tool. I, that could be, yeah. I think that's really what it is because that was the first thing I thought of was, well, I could try getting these, I could try these things in the AUR or I'll just go grab the snap. And uh, that's what I did. So I would imagine that's probably a lot of people did too. It's super handy. It really is. Yeah. I love it. Um, Maybe let me point, uh, add real quick to the point that Wimpy had before. Um, uh, I, I'm definitely, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, consider myself to be a coder or a developer at all, but, but still, um, with the best scripts and the, and the Snapcraft uh, things that, that I did behind the scenes and with this uh, Snapcraft Builders tool that is also up on, on Git, um, it was really, really easy for me to, to snap it in just one evening or two huh. to make it completely run in, in like two days. And definitely from a non-developer point of view, wow. it's really awesome. Awesome. That's a great field report. Yeah, that is. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Marius. Thank you very much. Marius, I was curious, what's your daily driver? Is it a Linux desktop? Uh, is it Unity? Is it a, is it a Ubuntu system? I'm, I'm still on Unity. Yeah. yeah. I'm no currently shame. using 16.04. Hashtag no judgment here. This is a no judgment zone. <laughs> You're welcome to use. At least today. Yeah. A turth, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call him out, but Turth in the chat room is totally using Windows right now, and it's no judgment zone. You're using Unity. Wes over here is using, what are you using, Budgie? What are you, I, forgot what you're, I forgot what you're using already. It, it was Budgie for a while right now. It's GNOME. Oh, the yeah, theme. okay. That's what I'm on, too. I'm on GNOME. I, I'm on GNOME, and uh, I have some thoughts on that, but I want to let Minimac jump in with Marius before we move yeah. on. So, Minimac, go ahead. Yeah, Marius. And do you touch the partitions of the phone when you're flashing the images? Do you change the partition tables? Or does it always stay the same? Well, I'm, I'm technically not changing the partition uh, tables or the formats itself, but uh, sometimes I have to, if I have to um, flash, for example, Sailfish on it, then I have to pre-format the system image, but I'm not changing anything about the partition layouts. I'm just formatting okay. the, the partition itself. Uh, okay. Thanks. So let's stay the same. You're welcome. Yeah, that's a great question, Minimac. Thank you for asking it. Uh, all right. Well, so, Marius, keep up the fantastic work. Thank you for staying up late. And uh, if there's other other developments down the road that happened that uh, you want to share with the class, you are welcome to join our virtual lug on a Tuesday yes, and uh, share with us. Will you, or, if you, or if you just can't sleep that night, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll keep, be here. We'll keep a chair out for you. So. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> all right. Very good. So I do want to talk a little bit about GNOME. Not a lot. I know. I won't. You know what? I, I know. Just a hint. I'm just warning you. I'm just warning you i know not all of you are big gnome fans so uh, first uh, let's talk about DigitalOcean. then if you don't want to talk about gnome you can leave but first let me tell you about DigitalOcean because i know that's really what you tuned in for that's what i tune in for DigitalOcean is my go-to platform now for when i need infrastructure essentially if i need a linux rig and it doesn't need a screen hooked up directly to it all the time i'm pretty much just default DigitalOcean. i'm default do oh default do DigitalOcean.com. go there create an account so sign up i know i'm asking a lot but trust me you're going to use it Create an account and then apply our promo code. It's like taking gasoline and putting it on top of your barbecue. It makes everything taste better. D-O unplugged. One word, lowercase, and then it makes that fire go like crazy. Plus, it's like a barbecue in the cloud. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, shoot. We got bar- to talk about our barbecue uh, yeah, coming up. that's true. <laughs> forgot about that, It's too. not in the cloud. Go so, back. No. Yeah. Well, but first, before we get talking about barbecue, let's talk about cooking in the cloud. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code D-O unplugged. SSDs throughout so you get really fast disk I.O. 40 gigabit e-connect to the hypervisor so your network performance is great. Linux is the host operating system. KVM for the virtualizer. You can do huge rigs, super, super high-end rigs, crazy, crazy monsters, 
monstrous high-end rigs. Rigs that would make 64 kilobytes of RAM Bill Gates' mind explode with the insanity in their size. And they also have a CDN system built in, monitoring. They have been integrating more and more features. My favorite one is block storage. And then, like the cherry on top, they have the best damn documentation on the web. Check it out at DigitalOcean.com. Create an account. Use our promo code Unplugged. Get deployed in seconds. Enjoy that SSD performance. Work with teams. Have a little block storage when you need a little extra storage. And deploy a pre-built open source application. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Unplugged. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the shenanigans that is the Unplugged program. So, Mr. West, we're almost at 200 episodes of the Unplugged program. That is crazy. And I've been trying to think of what we should do. What should we do? What should we do? Because I'd love to do something. And one thing that turned out, uh, oh, now Ike shows up. Now Ike shows up. See, you see he how that's talking about him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think I think there was some sort of transmission delay because we were talking about yes. his fantastic blog post a while ago. Anyways, the Ike signal, it's on the fritz. Uh, <laughs> come on. I think it's I think there was some fog or something that delayed it. So, uh, how I don't know how long ago it was, but we did a barbecue and Wes showed up and uh and uh, basically uh we made out during the barbecue. Um, what? No. Oh, geez, that was somebody else. You weren't no. supposed to say. I know. But anyways, the Wes showed up for the barbecue and uh things just uh, went went from there and now here he is doing a show. And uh that was pretty fun. I don't think that's going to happen this time, but I still thought we could kind of have a tradition where when the show has milestones, we have a community meetup. I love that idea. Like, you know, we have these extra chairs here in the studio. Oh, it's perfect now. So even if a couple of – even only if a couple of people could make it because it's the middle of the weekday. Yes. But even if only a couple of people could make it up here in Podunk, Arlington, they could be sitting in these big comfy red chairs and they could be part of our lug right here in the studio doing the show with us. That could be just a super awesome way to celebrate 200. But I feel like we need to give people a few weeks more heads up. Yeah, I think so too. So we were thinking it's possible around the 4th of July because we will have an unplugged program on the 4th of July. And I was planning to go to Montana for the 4th of July, but Noah ruins everything. Uh, that guy totally Noah's fault mm-hmm. so I, uh, I I think instead we could have a that barbecue that might be a lot of fun it's going to be uh, well after it'll be a few weeks after our 200th yeah. episode but uh, seems like a pretty good opportunity maybe that's more fair too because like what if 200 what if it goes terribly or the internet dies? you know I mean it's better to have past 200 we've proved that we did it and then we can all celebrate <laughs> yeah that would be probably the best so that's sort of our tentative plan so uh, there you go, Ike. You got your heads up now. Travel out here now. <laughs> All the burgers you can eat. No, that's true. Yeah. So, um, but but if you do want to come out for our 200th birthday and celebrate on the Fourth of July, which will be weeks and weeks after, because we're only like two weeks away, <laughs> no. it's going to be literally a month after our 200th episode. But uh, it'll be fun. It seems like because it could be a, a good chance people might have the day off from work. Yeah. And uh, it turns out my boss never lets me have the day off, so I'll be here, and uh, might as well be cooking. Yeah. Exactly. And we could put it. We could fit a couple of people in here. Plus, plus we have the uh, TV in the living room hooked up, so you could watch from the living room. You could watch the show live, and uh, so even if you couldn't make, even if you can't fit in the studio, we'd have room for you in the living room to watch the show. And you basically would get fed by us. Seems like a pretty good deal. It seems Seems, great. Seems like a pretty good deal. So uh, we'll we'll have more details if you would be interested. Contact me at Chris Las, and we're thinking on the fourth of July to celebrate the two hundredth episode. Of the unplugged program, yeah, my boss is <laughs> my boss is a bozo. That's true. That is, yeah, he's a real jerk. He's a real jerk. Um, so, 
I, I wanted to discuss just with anybody in the mumble room that maybe has little experience. I thought maybe I'd start with Wimpy because I, I suspect maybe he's played around with this, yeah. maybe under Mate. Um, I'm not really an expert on the plumbing of GNOME. I, my basic understanding is you have the uh, GNOME shell, which uh, then uses Mutter in, in the current configuration to do uh, essentially the compositing, and Mutter talks to X. And in the in in the Wayland setup, if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, Mutter takes on more of the X server roles. It do it, it like it does like the mouse tracking, all the stuff that the X server would traditionally do. Um, and, and I I don't know where these problems lie, but I've been recently having. I'm going to talk more about it on user error because I'm doing a deep dive right now. So tune into user error this week where I'm I'm I, I'm I'm chasing bug reports and I'm doing all this stuff but so I'll have a full report later but I've been I've been noticing I wanted to just check in with the virtual log and I want to check in with US uh is it just me or if your system's been up for like a couple of weeks does gnome 3 start to slow down to like a crawl over time is has anybody else noticed this I I have not but I don't have any I don't have any systems that are up that long that have a desktop that don't get rebooted or suspended. So I, I don't know if I have that exact use case. Hmm. Okay. So you know how. But I've me. seen it here happen at the studio, so I can definitely confirm that, like, yeah. it's happening. Yeah. And actually, earlier in the show today, we just had GNOME 3 crash on us, mm-hmm. and we had to stop recording and start again because we weren't sure if we lost part of oh, the recording. That's no good. And we did lose audio on the stream while GNOME 3 crashed for some reason. Wimpy, have you played around at all with benchmarking GNOME or looked at the performance of this stuff? Not a great deal, no. I the, the, I have done some work to integrate Mutter with Mate to see um, how how that works. And aside from key bindings, uh, not not um, you know passing through. And uh, what was the other? Oh, um, the Alt Tab and Alt Grave um, implementation just doesn't work the same as you would expect. So it works, but I've not done any serious profiling i am at the moment doing some uh power profiling on the different compositors to see uh what the additional power draw is on the on the different compositors but i've not concluded that yet okay yeah that that's a whole other aspect of it too is when you do have a system like this what kind of difference does it do the different compositors make on right. the cpu or gpu usage and the power draw that they have that's a fascinating conversation uh, probably for a future for a future show, um, yeah. This is something I I'm wondering about because I did not notice this under Plasma. So a, a, just a little background for those of you who don't catch every episode is for weeks and months I was uh, essentially since the last release of the Plasma desktop I've been running the Plasma desktop on my mm-hmm. main workstation. This is a machine that I, I leave tw- on twenty four seven. I've even recently started leaving the monitors on at like lower brightness so that way I can literally just. I, I walk in the room, I sit down, I start working immediately, and... Uh, the studio is always on. The Plasma desktop never ran into this issue, at least not that I noticed, and I probably never made it more than two months without rebooting, um, because I usually just decide, okay, well, it's time to get a new kernel. Um, but I definitely am noticing it within a couple of weeks, really, even a week on GNOME, and on the, all of the machines in the, in the studio that we've switched over to Linux that are running GNOME are exhibiting these... These symptoms, really? So it's something I'm trying to dig into, and I, I, I so know it's not just a one-off on one machine. And it's not like I can't like I can't swap out Mutter, right? That's not something I can just I can't just do that. I can't swap out Mutter for Kwin or something like like back in GNOME two days you could do something crazy shit like that, but I don't think you can do that with GNOME Shell. 
Uh, so anyways, if anybody has any more information on it, I would like your help. Uh, tweet me at Chris LAS or check out the new subreddit, linuxunplugged.reddit.com. Sounds like Ike's got a take on it too. I was reading his take in the chat room, which is pretty interesting. So, And that's what some of the bug reports that I've been digging into have been saying too, Ike. If you want to participate in our chat room, we do this show live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. over at jblive.tv. You can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendars. Like Marius there, you know, he has to sit there and do the time math. Yeah. Uh, we were chatting about it this morning. He's like, I, Marius says, I hate time zones. I'm like, I totally know what you mean. We so solved that already. We have these robots on standby at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. It will convert it to your local time. If you think you could make the 4th of July work... Which I, which I know is a little crazy, but if you think it could make it work, let me know. I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure we're going to do it, but I think it's like a 90% lock. And if we got a few people saying they'd be down, I mean, you and I are going to be here anyways. Yeah, we, will. we should probably, regardless if people show up or not, have that barbecue going on the 4th of July. So I almost feel like it's all lined up perfectly, so we should just do it. Uh, I think it's a lock. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to say it's a lock. Yeah, on the Fourth of July. Then yeah. what are we doing? I know. I think I'm going to say it's a lock. And basically, if you guys want to show up while Wes and I are cooking out and the beards here then eating their burgers, do. yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of your few opportunities to see the beard in person doing his thing. Yeah. Now, that means I'll have to tell people how to get here and all that. We'll have all that information. But, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. I think we're going to call it a lock. So, Wimpy, I'll expect you here, of course. Obviously, I'm sure you'll fly out. Uh, Marius, I'm sure you'll fly out. Uh, Ike, I expect you guys to all to make it here. It should be no problem. I'm sure everybody in the mumble room will just make it. I mean, you know, it should be no problem at all. What was the date? Uh, the 4th of July, right? Uh, America Day. Don't you want to come out mm. for America Day? <laughs> no, I might be in the <clears throat> I might be in the area the week after though. You know, Ike, if you make it, we'll have a wet t-shirt contest. We might. Uh... Oh, really, Wimpy? That would, it is it? possible. Hmm. Well, oh. yeah. I would, I'd, if you're in the area, let me know. I'll, I'd make a trip out to see you. Uh, if you'd like to make a trip out to see us, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and grab a new episode. Usually Tuesday evenings, Wednesday morning, depending on your neck of the woods. Don't forget we have the RSS feeds over there. I did mention it, but I'll just say it again: linuxunplugged.reddit.com. That's where you go to get involved in the conversation after the show and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact if you want to send us your feedback. And Wes, are you ready for me to fire off the end of the show music oh, I'm so with excited. Caster Soundboard? There it is. That's it, right there. That's so awesome, dude. Now the show's ending. You that, have such power. That is incredible. And I touched it right there. It's a touch screen, and I'm watching it play across Caster Soundboard. Now available as a snap. <laughs> it's amazing so great listen we have a new show out user air go check it out and linux action news linuxactionnews.com and user air jupiterbroadcasting.com two great shows with more linux content user air a little raunchier it's more for an adult oh. audience linux action news of course is your hardcore take super hardcore really rough so hard hardcore. stuff <laughs> it's okay now it's not that at all all right thank you for joining us we'll see you right back here next tuesday say goodbye wes goodbye bye everybody
what are the chances that the week that you don't have to record TechSnap, we're done super early? Well, how does this happen? Yeah, we got off, we got thrown off a little bit, I think, when uh, when Dome crashed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Ike, we. Uh, <laughs> We really crapped on uh, how uh, how ridiculous it is that you're shipping the plasma desktop about how everybody in your project's going to burn out because of the uh, diffusion of resources and time and the chaotic state that the project must be finding itself in as a result of the fragmentation of your desktop focus. <laughs> did not say any of that. Fair question. Did not say any of that. Did not know. I actually just think it's really cool. And it uh, sounds like uh, Peter's a cool dude. That's pretty much what we said. Um, <laughs> Accu- accurate. <laughs> I will confirm. I don't know. I thought that was pretty good for coming off. Like, let's see what kind of armchair bullshit internet criticism could I come up with if I just uh, randomly, uh, randomly. Let's um, troll as a service. Thank you, Mumble Room. You guys were great. Marius, it was great to speak with yeah, you. Yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Anytime, slash something. Uh, <laughs> just give me your phone, Chris. I, it'll won't be bricked. Just flash away. Just flash away. Oh, I'm just kidding. I got it. See, I got him a little bit. I got him a little <laughs> bit. That's good. All right, jbtitles.com. Jbtitles, uh, jbtitles, jbtitles. We covered your uh, your blog post about uh, about plasma and all that. Plasma. Cheese Bitcoin is $2,200 right now. $2,200. That's crazy. Did oh. anybody here else hear anything about uh, Japan using Bitcoin or something about yeah, Japan yeah. making it more yeah. official? Yep, yep. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about it in user error. So good question. Oh, uh, yes. sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I'm... I, I can't buy things fast enough at the moment. The rate <laughs> that Bitcoin keeps going right. up in value. Have you it's had gone any... up $400 in like... Six days or something. Have you had any problem with uh, the transaction fees being too low and your uh, pre- your purchases not uh, getting um, verified in time? Uh, no, I had, I had a huge problem with that. I thought I was crazy. Yeah, I was having a big problem with it too. So, oh, so I'd say half my transactions are Bitcoin transactions, and half are uh, transferring Bitcoin to fiat currency and then using mm. that. To fund uh, the purchase, right. I had to do like a dollar something uh, fee just to make sure it would go through. I tried fifty cents, I tried sixty cents, I tried seventy cents, and then I'm like, okay, a dollar? Like, what the hell? It's just, I think the network is super busy right now. Uh, that's there. You go, Ike. There you go, boy. Is this? Yeah. What is, is this? this Western everyone? Union? Well, uh, someone suggested <laughs> in um, in the Ubuntu podcast Telegram group that. Uh, how, how how much an effect uh, WannaCry um, Bitcoin purchases oh, are having on the price of Bitcoin hmm. at the moment, which Maybe. is an interesting Maybe. point of view. Ubuntupodcast.org. They're still recording, so I'm going to put that in here right now. After this show is over, what you should do is go get UbuntuPodcast.org. Right away. Then download Linux Action News, and then download Ask Noah, and then download User Air. And then, if you're missing Ike. Download Late Night Linux.